0: okay hey welcome everybody special edition of california haunts radio um i kind of wanted to do this last year but didn't get the chance to for some reason got busy that sort of thing but um i thought this year would be kind of cool to do this um you know leading up to the holidays you know a lot of people tell ghost stories and what great you know what what better ghost story christmas ghost story than than a christmas carol by by uh, charles dickens and um So I decided to do this, and you can see I've got my library backdrop behind me, and eventually by next week, I'm going to have a really nice Christmassy backdrop, thanks to Marisa. And uh, so I was kind of looking forward to this. Um, It's through Google Books, and uh, I can't (laughs) enlarge it, so you're gonna see me with reading glasses, which is something you don't see every day, wearing glasses on the air. And also, um, for some reason, the pages are yellow, so I can't have everything. But uh, this is what happens when you just use your tablet for this stuff. But anyway, I want to talk about A Christmas Carol. I mean, this is like the ultimate ghost story, right? This is the most famous, probably one of the most famous ghost stories there is. When you talk about the ghost of Jacob Marley and you talk about all the, all the other spirits that, that visited Scrooge. So um, this is what I decided to do. We'll give some people a few more minutes before we do this. But I'm hoping... Maybe we can get through one, two chapters, you know, in, in, in an hour every Sunday. And uh, hopefully by Christmas Eve, we'll have this all done, right? So that's what I'm hoping. So as you can see, I've got my tablet. I'm reading off my tablet. You can see the pages are yellow. Well, you can see they're white, but they're yellow. But um, yeah, so we're going to do this. And I'm really excited about all this. Let me take a quick look in here and see. Because there's a big thing on Marley, and then there's a bit starts in with all the first ghosts and all that. So, we're going to start with the stave on Marley. They've got a nice dedication to Marley in the front of the book to start off with. As I get in here and flip the page back, because I was trying to see. This one in itself is pretty long. It's called Stave One Marley's Ghost. So, we're going to start reading. Now, I'm not the only person on Facebook that does this stuff. Um, during COVID, you know, when everybody was off during COVID, a lot of people were doing this. Patrick Sir Patrick Stewart would actually read a uh, shakes one Shakespeare sonnet in the afternoon. For however long it took to get through all the sonnets, it was kind of cool. You could tune in. Another person that does this is Alison Arngrim. If you know, if you're a fan of Little House on the Prairie, then Alison Arngrim played Nellie Olson, and she'll put on a bonnet, kind of dress in period clothing, and she reads from. Laura, the Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, book series every afternoon. to People, kids, adults, whatever you know like. So she's a person that does this, and so I was following her during during the you know during the height of COVID as well. All right, so we got some people watching. So let me put my reading glasses on. Remember, this is something you don't see very often. This me wearing glasses on camera so I can read small type, and we can get started to Christmas Carol. Stave one uh, Stave stage one Marley's ghost. Now grab all your snacks and everything just like when I usually start out and I and I uh, talk about get your popcorn and snacks and all that. this is the night to do that and curl up in front of a fire, turn the volume up you can hear my voice moving through your house and have your hot cocoa and away we go. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge even signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as as the deadest piece of... I ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hand, my un, my un, excuse me, hallowed hand shall not disturb it, or the country is done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners, for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral and, and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings back to, brings back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story that I'm going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father had died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a small scroll scroll at night in in an easterly wind, sorry about that, upon his own ramparts than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot. Say St. Paul's churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge... Scrooge and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names; it was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted, hang on a second, let me turn this light off here, it's driving me nuts. Okay, that's better. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindhouse, grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head, and on his eyebrows, and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his coffee in the dog days, and didn't thought one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill chill him. No wind that blew no no wind that blew was bitterer than him. No falling snow was more intent upon this purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him either. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast an an advantage over him in one respect. They often came down handsomely and Scrooge never did. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, with Gladstone looks, my dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle no children asked him what, what time it was, and no man or woman in all his life inquired the way to such. Okay, hang on. To such, come on, turn the page. <laughs> Excuse me. For some reason. Okay, to such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on would tug their owners in, into the doorways and up courts and then would wag their tails as though they said no eye at all is better than an evil eye dark master but what did Scrooge care? it was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded park's paths of life warning all human sympathy to keep its distance that's what the knowing ones called nuts to Scrooge once upon a time of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, Old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts, and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city docks had only just gone three, had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. I'm sorry, the city clocks, I apologize, had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices, like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense without that. Though the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were mere phantoms to see the dingy dingy cloud come drooping down obscuring everything one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale the door of scrooge's county house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk who in dismal little cell in in his dismal little cell beyond a sort of tank was copying letters scrooge had a very small fire but the clerk's fire was was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal but he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. And so surely, as the clerk came in with the the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, in in which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A merry Christmas, uncle. God save you, cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him quickly that this was the first intimation that he had of his approach. Bah, Scrooge said. Humbug. He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all in a glow. His face his face was ruddy handsome, his eyes sparkled, and his breath smoked again. Christmas humbug Christmas a humbug, um, uncle, uncle, said Scrooge's nephew. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What right have you, be, have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You, you're poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew gaily. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said "Bah!" again and followed it up with another humbug. Don't be cross, uncle, said the nephew. What else can I be, returned his uncle, when I live in such a world of fools as this. Merry Christmas? (laughs) Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through around a dozen months presented dead against you if i could work my will said scrooge indignantly every idiot who goes about with merry christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with the stake of holly through his heart he should uncle pleaded the nephew nephew returned the, uncle sternly keep christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine keep it repeated scrooge's nephew but you don't keep it let me leave it alone then said scrooge much good, may, much good may it do you. Much good it has ever done to you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned the nephew. Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time, when it has come round, apart from the veneration, due to its sacred name and origin. If anything, belonging to it, apart from the far. That is a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem to be one constant to open their, their shut up hearts freely and to drink of people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done good for me, and will do good for me. And I say, God bless it. The clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded. Becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety, he poked the fire, and extinguished the last frail spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir, he added, turning to his nephew. I wonder you don't go into par- I wonder why you don't go into parlor to parliament don't be angry uncle come dine with us tomorrow Scrooge said that he would see him yes indeed he did he went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him at that extremity first but why why cried Scrooge's, Scrooge's nephew why did you get married said Scrooge because I fell in love excuse me it's really hot in here because I fell in love because you fell in love growled Scrooge as if that were the only one thing in in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, Uncle. But you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why Why can't we not be friends? Good afternoon, Scrooge repeated. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party, but I have made the trial in homage to Christmas and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, uncle. Good afternoon, said Scrooge and happy new year. A Happy new year. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left the room without an angry word, notwithstanding. He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk who cold as he was was warmer than scrooge for he returned them cordially there's another fellow muttered scrooge who overheard him my clerk with 15 shillings a week and a wife and a family talking about a merry christmas i'll read hire to bedlam this lunatic in letting scrooge's nephew out had let two other people in they were poorly gentlemen pleasant to behold and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office, they had looked, they had books and papers in their hands, and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe," said one of the gentlemen, referring to his list. "Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley?" "Mr. Marley has been dead has been dead these seven years," Scrooge replied. "He died seven years ago this very night." We have no doubt. His liberality is is well represented in the surviving partner, said the gentleman, presenting the credentials. It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. As the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and, and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up a pan, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are, those for, are there no prisons, asked Scrooge? Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses demanded, Scrooge, are they still in operation? They are, still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then," said Scrooge. "Both very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course," said Scrooge. "I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mine, Christian. Sorry about that. Christian cheer of mind and body to the multitudes," returned the gentleman. "A few of us are endeavouring to raise a." to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time, of all others, when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? Anonymous, sorry. (laughs) I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I think, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make marry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people marry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, they had better do it, and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that, but you might know it, observed the gentleman. It's not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with, with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labors with an, with an improvised opinion, with an improved opinion of himself, and in a more fa- fa- facetious temper facetious temper than was usually him. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened, so that people ran right about with flaring links, proffering their services to go uh, go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church, whose gruff old ball was always peeping slowly whose gruff old old ball, I'm sorry, was always I gotta get a better book than this, was was always peeping slowly. Let's see always peeping slowly down, down at Scrooge out out, out out of the gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours of quarters in the clouds with tremendous vibrations afterwards. So, as, you know, as, as if its teeth were chattering in, in the frozen head up there. The cold became intense. The main street at the corner of the court, some laborers were, I'm going to go a little bitter, were repairing the gas pipes. There we go. And had lighted a, a great fire in a brazier, I think that's how it's pronounced, round, <laughs> round with a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze in rapture. The water plug being left in solitude, its overflowing suddenly congealed and turned to misanthropic ice. The brightness of the shops were, holy spr- were holly sprigs and berries crackle in the lap heat of the windows made pale faces ruddy as they passed. Poserers and grocers' trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant with which, uh, with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargain and sale had anything to do. The Lord Mayor, and the strongest of the mighty mansion house, gave orders to his fifty cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as a Lord, Lord Mayor's house, household should. And even the little tailor, whom he had fined five shillings on the previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his garret while his lean wife and baby sallied out to buy the beef. Foggier yet and colder, piercing, searching, biting cold. If the good St. Dunstan had put had, had but nippled the evil nipped, oh my gosh, Had but nipped the evil spirit's nose with with a touch of such weather as that, instead of using his familiar weapons, that indeed he would have, he, he would have roared to lusty purpose. The owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold as, as bones are gnawed by dogs, Stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol, but at the first sound of "God rest ye merry, gentlemen," "May nothing you dismay," Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and and even more congenial froze, frost. At length, at length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. With an ill will Scrooge dismounted from his stool and recently admitted the, to the fact that the expert clerk see, the expert clerk in the tank, who instantly snuffed his candle out and put his put on his hat. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose, Scrooge asked. You're quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, said Scrooge, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown if I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill used. I'll be bowed," the clerk smiled faintly, "and yes," said Scrooge. "You don't think me ill? You don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work?" The, the clerk observed that it was only once a year. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every twenty-fifth of December," said Scrooge, buttoning his his great coat to the chin. "But I suppose you must have the whole day off." But only earlier the next morning. The clerk promised that he would and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The office was closed in a twinkling and the clerk and the clerk with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist for he for he boasted no greatcoat went down a slide on on the cornhill at the end of the land of boys 20 times in honor of his being of this being Christmas Eve and then he ran home to Camden town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Bluff. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. There were a gloomy suite of rooms and a lowering pile of building up, and, and a, lowering pile of building up a yard where it had little business to be, that one could scarcely help fancying it might have run the it might have run there when it was a young house. Playing a hide and seek with other houses and have forgotten the way out again. It was old enough now and dreary enough for nobody lived in it but Scrooge. The other rooms facing old the, the, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful me- meditation at the threshold. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place also that scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city of london even including which is a bold word the corporation alderman and livery let it also be borne in mind that scrooge had not bestowed one thought on, on marley since his last mention of the seven years dead partner that afternoon and then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without, it, without its undergoing any intermediate process of change, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not an impen- impenetrable shadow, as the other objects in the yard were, but had a, a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. It was not an angry or ferocious face, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred as if by breath on hot air. And though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That and its livid color made it horrible. But its horror seemed to be in spite of that face and and beyond its control rather than the part of his own expression, as Scrooge looked fixedly, fixedly on the phenomena, it was the knocker again. To say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible, terrible sensation, to which it had been a stranger from, to, to which it had been a stranger from infancy, would be untrue. That that he put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it unsteady, walked in and lighted his candle. He did pause with, with a moment's irresolution before he shut the door. And he did look cautiously behind it at first as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door except the screws and nuts that held the knocker on. And so he said, "pooh pooh" and closed it with a bang. The sound resounded through the house like thunder Every room above and every cask in the wine merchant cellar below appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by the echoes. He fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs slowly, trimming his cattle as he went. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and six, about driving a coach and six up a good flight of stairs or or through a bad young ace of parliament. But I mean to say you might have got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise with the splinter bar toward the wall and the door toward the bolsterides. and done it really easy. There was plenty of width to that, to that area and room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive hearse going on before him in the gloom. Half a dozen gas lamps out of the street wouldn't have lighted the entry too well, so you may suppose that it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Up Scrooge went, not carrying a button for that. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that, old, that everything was all right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, a small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, and a little saucepan of gruel, Scrooge had a cold in his head, was there as well. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closets, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up by the suspicious, up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room as usual. Old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in, double locked, double locked himself in, and was not as it was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his, his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers, and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed. Nothing on, nothing on such a bitter night. He was obliged to air, let's see, okay. He, he, he was obliged to sit so close to it and brood over it before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from a handful of fuel. The fireplace was an old one built by some Dutch merchant long ago and paved all round with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds. Abrahams, vihaza's apostles putting off to sea in butter boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet that face of Marley, seven years dead, came back like ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. If each smooth tile had been blank at first, with power to shape some picture on its surface from, from the disjointed fragments of his thoughts, there would have been a copy of old Marley's head on every one. Humbug, said Scrooge, and walked across the room. After several turns, he sat down again. As he threw his head back in his chair, he glan- his glance happened to rest upon a bell, disguised as a bell, that hung in the room. Oh, I'm sorry. It just used bell that hung in the room. I'm going to have to get a better book than this. This It's going to drive me insane. Uh, That hung in the room for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was great. with great. It was great astonishment and with strange, inexplicable dread that, as he looked, he saw the bell begin to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound but soon it rang more loudly and so did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute or a minute, but it seemed an hour, the bell ceased and they had begun together, as they had begun together. They were succeeded by a a clinking noise deep down below as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the cast in in the wine merchant's cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard that ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound and then, then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight toward the door. It's humbug still said Scrooge. I won't believe it. His color changed though, when without a pause, it came, it it came on through the heavy door. And passed into the room before his eyes. Upon its coming in, the dying flame leapt up, and through it cried, I know him, Marley's ghost, and fell again. The same face, the very same Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat tights, and boots, the tassels the tassels on the ladder bristling like his pigtail, and his coat skirts, and the hair upon his head. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle, it was long. And wound about him like a tail, and it was made for, made for, it was made for. Scrooge observed it closely of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purse, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him, was looking through his waistcoat. He could see two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels but he had never believed it until now. No, nor did he believe it even now. Though he, looked, though he looked the phantom through and through and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of the death-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folded kerchief about its head and shin, which, which raptor he hadn't observed before, he was still incredulous and fought against the senses. How now, said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. What do you want with me? Much. Marley's voice, no doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then, said Scrooge, raising his voice. You're particular for a shade. He was going to say, to a shade, but substituted this for, for, for being more appropriate. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down, asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can. Do it, then. Scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost, so transparent, might find himself in a condition to take a chair and felt, it felt in the event of its being impossible, it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe in me, observed the ghost. I don't, said Scrooge. What evidence you have of my reality beyond that's your own, that that's your own senses. I don't know. said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because said Scrooge. A little thing affects me, a slight disorder of the stomach makes, makes them cheats, makes them cheats. That's what it says. You may be, you may be under. Okay. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an uh, an undone potato, that's more gravy than about you whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart by any means waggish them. The truth is that he tried to be smart as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the spectre's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. To sit staring at those fixed, glazed eyes in silence for a moment would play Scrooge felt the very dense with him, the very deuce with him. I'm sorry, there was something very awful too, <clears throat> and the specters being provided, in the, yeah, the specters being provided with an internal atmosphere of his own, Scrooge could not feel, feel it himself, but it was clearly the case, for though the ghost sat perfectly motionless. His hair and skirts and tassels were still agitated as by the hot vapor from an oven. "'You see this, mouth pick, this toothpick?' said Scrooge, returning quickly to the charge. "'For the reason just assigned and wishing, though it were only for a second, "'to divert the vision's stony gaze from himself.' "'I do,' replied the ghost. "'You are not looking at it,' said Scrooge. "'But I see it,' said the ghost, notwithstanding.' Well, returned Scrooge, I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. At this the spirit raised a frightful cry and shook his chin and, and shook his chin with such a dismal and appalling noise that Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. But how much greater was this horror when, the phantom, taking off the bandage round his head, as if it were too too warm to wear indoors, his lower jaw dropped down upon his breast. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. "'Mercy!' he said. "'Dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me?' "'Man of worldly mind,' replied the ghost. "'Do you believe in me or not?' "'I do,' said Scrooge. "'I must.' But why, why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every man the ghost returned that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men, and travel far and wide as if that spirit goes not forth in life. It is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world, oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turn to happiness. Again, the spectre raised a cry and shook his cha- and, and, and shook his chain, and wrung his shadow- and, and wrung his shadowy hands. You are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link, and yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will, all of my own free will, and I w- and I wear it. It is my pet. It is a pattern strange to you? Screws trembled more and more. Let's see. Let's make sure I got the right page. Okay. Or would you know? Pursued the ghost. The weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself. It is a. It is full. It was as full, as heavy, as long as this. Even Christmas Eve, seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on, on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some 50 or 60 fathoms of iron cables, but he could see nothing. Jacob, he said imploringly, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge, and is conveyed by other, uh, other ministers to other lands of, of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is always permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me. In life, my spirit never moved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing, of our money-clanging hole. And weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge whenever he became thoughtful to put his hands in his in, in his breeches pockets. Pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting up his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have been very slow about it, Jacob, Scrooge observed in a business-like manner, though with humility and deference. Slow, the ghost repeated. Seven years dead, mused Scrooge, and traveling all the time? The whole time, said the ghost. No rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast? "'On the wings of the wind,' replied the ghost. "'You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years,' said Scrooge. "'The ghost, on hearing this, set up another cry "'and clanked his chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night "'that the ward would have been justified in indicating that for a nuisance. "'Old captive, bound in doubled iron,' cried the phantom. Not to know that ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures for this earth must pass in eternity before the ground on which it is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in, in this little sphere, whether it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's opportunities misused. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hand again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. He held up his chain at arm's length as as if that were the cause of all his unravelling grief grief, and flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I will suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my own eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which, which led the wise men to a poor abode? Was there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to to hear the spectre going on at this rate, and began to quake exceedingly. "Hear me," said the ghost. "My time is nearly gone." "I will," said Scrooge. "But don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. That's let's see. I have sat invisible beside you many, many a day." It was not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. There is no, there is no light from part of my penance. Pursued the ghost, I am here to, I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance, and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of, of my procuring Ebenezer. You are always a good friend to me said Scrooge, thank You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost had done. Is that the chance and hope you mention, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. "I, I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visit, said the ghost, you cannot hope to shun the path that I've tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have, have it over with, Jacob? Expect the second the next night at the same hour, the third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look for that. For your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. When he had said these words, the specter took his wrapper from the table and bound it round his head as before. Scrooge knew this by the smart sound of his teeth made when the jaws were brought together by the bandage. He ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude with his chin wound over about his arm. The apparition walked backwards from him and at the and the, and at every step he took, the window raised itself a little so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. He beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were with, within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up his hand, warning him to come no nearer, Scrooge stopped. Not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of his hand he became sensible and confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentations of regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self accusatory. The spectre, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirges and floated out upon the bleak dark night. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity, he looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few, they might have guilty governments, (laughs) were linked together, living together, none were free, many of them personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to his ankle, who cried piteously at, at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom he saw below upon the doorstep. The mystery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters. And had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into mist, or mist enshrouded them, he he could not tell. But they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had had entered. It was double locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull, or, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of, of repose, he went straight to bed, without undressing, and fell asleep in an instant. Okay, well, I'm going to stop there tonight. As you can see, this yellow uh, print on here is making me mental. So what i'm going to do is next week uh when we continue this we're going to read two chapters next week um i'm going to have a better copy of this to read off of because it's just it's driving me insane so um that'll be the start for us and we're going to go to st- chapter two the first of the three spirits and i'm looking forward to it unless you guys want to continue tonight we can continue for the next 10 minutes oh why not? let's continue with this got 10 minutes anyway never mind but anyway um like I said, I'm going to stop. I just, I'm just, i just going to stop. It's driving me insane. But thank you for coming tonight. And we will continue next week, I promise. And I will have a better copy of this to read off of because, wow, this is just craziness. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm going to call it a night. See you next week, same time.